Welcome to St. George Orthodox Church Homilies and Reflections. Today's homily is from the Sunday after Ascension, the Sunday of the Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Joyous Feast. Joyous Feast. Praznikum. Kali Eoti. God bless you all. We continue to commemorate the ascension of our Lord. And we also commemorate today the Holy Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. It's important to know the dogma, the doctrine of the Orthodox faith. It's something that we forget. You just heard how our Lord prayed, right? That we would be one, even as He and the Father are one. That's a doctrinal, dogmatic statement that the Son is of one essence with the Father. And He prays that for all of us, we would be one. If we don't understand if we don't have the right icon, the correct picture, the correct symbol of who God is, we can spend our life pursuing all sorts of false paths and even pursuing our own imagination when we think about who God is and be lost. And so we commemorate the fathers of the first ecumenical council today for putting forth in words the symbol of our faith, the Holy Creed. And the reason that we call the Creed, when we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, we'll recite the Creed later during the divine liturgy. The reason we call it a symbol is because symbols in the life of the church are something that put us in touch with reality. So the symbolism, the symbol of baptism, puts us in touch with the very death and resurrection of Christ. The symbolism of anointing with holy chrism puts us in touch with, joins us, unites us with the reality of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. The symbolism of the divine body and blood in Holy Communion is this reality of our participation in the very body and blood of Christ Himself, fulfilling what the Lord prays here in the Gospel of John this morning, that they may be one, even as you and I, the Father, are one. And so the dogmas of the Church are never meant to be abstract, but they should be relate directly to things that deal with our salvation. But now, in our day and age, there's kind of a problem that arises. How many of you are familiar with terms like ontology? Some people. There's a few hands, but not many. How many of you are familiar with the term usia? Homo usios. 
hypostasis, hypostasis. You guys familiar with these terms? And so there's all of this terminology within the life of the church that people are not aware of, don't understand the significance of. And so when they hear it, even when we recite the creed, there's something that they're out of touch with because of a lack of education, a lack of understanding, and also an entire cultural shift that's been going on for centuries now, away from thinking about being, from thinking about what it means to exist, and for turning our attention instead towards temporary profit, temporal advantage, politics, and all of these other things. There are many terms that I can ask people about related to politics, and they have a, a very large vocabulary and understanding of the issues of the day. But if I were to ask many people to go through the creed of our church and explain what it is saying, they would be hard-pressed to understand it. This means that as Orthodox believers, it is incumbent upon us, it's, it's pressed upon us, the reality of needing to translate and teach faithfully what the creed expresses about God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have to learn. We have to study. But not only that, whereas for the fathers of our church, the statement and the teaching about the Holy Trinity, they could see how it related directly with the crises and problems and issues that they were facing during their time as they were living. All of the existential problems and questions that they had they saw answered in the doctrine of our faith, in the dogma of the Orthodox Church. They were able to see the relationship, to understand the reflection within humanity and what we are called to become based on who God is and who He reveals Himself to be and who He calls us to become. But now today, within our own culture and society, we have different questions. We have different existential concerns. And so it's not only incumbent upon the church to translate and to teach faithfully what was written before, but also to answer the questions that are asked of us clearly. To spend time thinking, meditating, on the questions that are put to us by this age. Why? Because just like the Holy Fathers gave us the creed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to keep us on the path of salvation, we must be willing to engage with and answer the questions that are put to us in this age so that people can stay on the path of salvation. We cannot be people that tell others not to ask questions. 
even if those questions put us in an uncomfortable position and make us fearful and maybe we don't have any answers. So this is the reality of where we are as Orthodox believers today. Many times, and this is something from Bishop Maxime, he's a Serbian bishop, serves in California, he lives in Los Angeles. I think he's the bishop of the Western Diocese in the Serbian Orthodox Church in the United States. And he talks about the reality of enculturation. So what does enculturation mean? It means when the gospel comes to influence your very life, the life of our community. And he talks about how in the early church there was a struggle and a difficulty, a concern, arguments in a way, confusion. Have you ever heard the question, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? Have you ever heard that? I think it was put by Tertullian, one of the earliest Christian writers. So he said, why should I learn anything about philosophy? Why should I learn anything about this pagan culture that's surrounding me? What does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? So that was his, his um, understanding. But there were, and actually Tertullian ended up finding himself outside of the church in the end. But there were other fathers of the church who took the time to learn the ancient philosophy and all of these things and took the time to learn how is it that we can express right glory and right worship of God and teaching of him in this language that's used by the philosophers. And it eventually, it gets to the point where even in the creed, I mentioned the term homoousios before, of one essence, where this term comes from is pagan philosophy. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. They utilize this term because they recognize that it expressed the faith of the church. And so it was able to be used. So they are able to look at the culture in which they lived and garner the fruits of it and discern what was life-giving, discern what was true, discern what was useful, and pull those things out for the service of the life of the church so that we can continue to teach and keep people on the path of salvation. If they didn't do this, the opposite is to withdraw into a ghetto-like existence. Do you know what that means? It means to withdraw into a place that is untouchable, that is sealed off from the rest of society. And Bishop Maxime talks about the essential point here is that in this process, history and culture are accepted not so as to remain as they are, but so as to be eschatologized. <laughs> he uses a really big word there, which then he puts in parentheses to help you understand what he's saying, but so as to be healed, ennobled, and perfected in such a way that the truth is not subjugated 
through being in his, in, incarnated in history and culture. And then he writes further down. Today, the church cannot stand vis-a-vis with her surrounding culture. What does that mean? It means that we can't stand like this, like an antagonist to the culture. Why? Because she has, the church has, to some extent, contributed to the creation of the culture. If you study, have you ever heard the term secular? You know, people say we live in a secular age. Where did that age come from? What do you think? Do you think it was a bunch of godless atheists that made it up? It started with the Protestant Reformation. Go learn, study about the development of human thought in the past centuries. And what you'll see is that all of the seeds of a secular age, a completely godless age, began at the Protestant Reformation. It's all there. And even there's one Catholic philosopher, Charles Taylor, that actually delineates and writes out this history. And there was another professor, teacher of philosophy that loved his book and summarized it because Charles Taylor's book is it's like a thousand pages long. It's super heady and deep and very lengthy. And so this other guy wrote like a little companion to it. It was kind of a guide, you know, to understanding what Charles Taylor was saying. And he was a Protestant, the guy who wrote the book. He's a committed, I think, a Calvinist. And he couldn't deny what Charles Taylor was saying. He accepted it. He's like, he's right. We created this secular environment. And so then we're going to try to stand apart from it and be, you know, as if we have no part in it. So Bishop Maxime says we can't do that because we have to some extent contributed to the creation of the culture. The church must cease being alien to the agonizing questions of contemporary man. And then he has this wonderful line, theology communicates with people not by shouting out mottos, not by shouting out mottos, but rather by addressing the existential needs of man. And I'll close with a story from the life of Metropolitan Anthony Bloom of blessed memory. When he was younger, some of you probably know, he served as a physician, I think during World War II. And at the time, he may have been stationed in France. And one day, a German soldier was brought into them who, whose finger had been sort of smashed by a bullet. Sort maybe able to be saved, probably not. And the doctor, his superior in the hospital, as soon as he looked at it, he said, "Cut the finger off." And that's it. We're not going to we're not going to talk about trying to fix this guy up. 
For one, he's our enemy, and we don't have the time to deal with this. Just cut off his finger. He can live without it. But then the man was speaking in German. Nobody can understand him. And he's asking for somebody, please speak to me in German. Metropolitan Anthony could speak German, so he says, what, what is it? And the man says, I'm a watchmaker. If you cut off my finger, my life is ruined. And so Metropolitan Anthony spent weeks treating this man's finger and taking care of him every single day to try and restore it so that he would be able to go back and do the work that he needed to do when the war was finally over. For his enemy, he did this. Out of great expense to himself, because he's disobeying the authorities that are over him, and he's spending a lot of time doing this, and they don't have time to do these things. There's an example there of what it means when we hear in the Gospels that you're supposed to love your enemies. He actually takes it, it's an expense to him of loving them. And now I want you to think about the way that we relate to our contemporary culture. The way that we relate to the ideas and things that are surrounding us in this world. Are we willing, at expense to ourselves, to spend time learning so that others might have their life restored and be able to find the path of salvation? Or, and I don't want to make too much of an either or because the church does need to be otherworldly, but or do we want to retreat into a ghetto? Those seem to be the choices that are before us today. And there are many, I'm not one of them. And it's okay if you disagree with me, because I, I am who I am, whatever. You can disagree with me. But I am not one of those priests that will tell you to withdraw from this world into a ghetto and cut yourself off from contemporary society and life and make yourself deaf to the questions that are being posed to us as Christians. I'm not one of those people. And like I said, I have no problems with anybody disagree with me. disagreeing with me. I think it's a good thing. So this is something for us to think about. Remember Metropolitan and Anthony's example of being willing to go the extra mile for someone. And may we go the extra mile as well so that the genuine faith and trust and life in the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can continue to be expressed and received by the world around us. Amen. Thank you for joining us at St. George Orthodox Church Homilies and Reflections. Please be sure to like and subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Okay, goodbye. God bless you.